You're listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Download past shows and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Here are some highlights from this week's program. There's a real element of shame around that, not being able to conceive. I mean, if it's such a given, it's such an expectation, it's such a part of our womanhood, and now we're not able to meet that expectation and produce that, what does it say about me as a woman? I spent some time in the uh, biotech world trying to explore just the pure science of things, but ultimately it's the human connection that was was important to me and uh, being able to use a wealth of knowledge that physicians acquire, and but being able to use that uh, in ways that can really uh, help and benefit uh, individual people. That's what gets me through every day right now. So, The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, Seabags, Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, and Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 85. Fertility, airing for the first time on Sunday, April 28, 2013. With the spring comes the promise of growth and new life. This week on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour, we discuss what happens when creating new life presents a challenge to couples. Our guests, fertility and adoption coach Ann Belden and reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Benjamin Lannan, offer hopeful perspectives on an emotionally charged topic. I come from an unusually large family. My parents had 10 children in 16 years, including one set of twins. I was the oldest. Raised in a suburban Maine town, mine was not an experience shared by many. That my parents were so obviously fertile caused me no end of embarrassment as a youngster. Another one, my schoolmates would ask, how many kids do your parents plan on having anyway? I could not answer that question until after my youngest brother was born during the autumn of my senior year in high school. 10, that was the final number. Though I had often suggested that I would never have children myself, having helped raise enough of them already, I became pregnant with my son at the tender age of 21. As a first-year medical student, living two states away from my then-husband, who visited only on weekends, I was surprised by this turn of events. Surprised, and again, slightly embarrassed. I cannot explain why I would have felt shame over so normal a human function. Now a mother of three, and proud big sister and aunt to many, I have greatly benefited from fortuitous biology. Others are not so lucky. As our guests on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour remind us this week, fertility does not naturally come to all. Fertility and adoption counselor Ann Belden and reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Benjamin Lannan have worked with countless couples for whom having a baby becomes a challenging ordeal. They describe the shame felt by men and women who cannot accomplish what they are told should occur naturally. Fertility issues, for some strange reason, remain one of medicine's dirty little secrets. I come from an unusually large family. My parents' fertility status was no secret. The early embarrassment I felt over this, and my own discomfort following the surprise pregnancy with my son, in no way matches what couples who struggle with fertility must feel. But I have great compassion for those who experience embarrassment over something they cannot control. 
I hope that fertility, whether abundant, inadvertent, or lacking, will someday be treated for exactly what it is, a human function about which nobody should feel shame. Whether you are part of a couple challenged by fertility, or somebody who knows somebody challenged by fertility, or simply a compassionate human being, we're very glad that you've joined us here on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour this week and are willing to listen to what Ann Belden and Dr. Benjamin Lannon have to say on this topic. Last year on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we were fortunate to have a group of women come in and talk to us about hearty girls, healthy women, and enjoyed the company of my guest who has returned here again today, Ann Belden. Today's conversation is going to ta- is going to be about actually being a hearty girl and a healthy woman, but in a very different way. So I'm happy to have with me in the studio today Ann Belden, who is a fertility and adoption coach and is also organizing an important event coming up at the end of April. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Lisa. It's so nice to be here with you. This is a free fertility seminar, and fertility is something that, as you and I were talking, it's something that a lot of people deal with, and yet not a lot of people discuss. So the fact that you're putting this seminar out there, and for the first time, it says a lot. Right, yeah, it does affect a lot of couples. One in eight couples experience infertility, which is defined as trying to conceive for a year, deliberately trying to get pregnant without success. So one in eight couples, is a a lot of people. And you're also right that it's really not talked about very much. I like to say that it's really one of the last social issues to, to kind of come out of the closet. Why do you think that's true? I think that, um, fertility and, and, and infertility, um, tap into such a personal part of ourselves. It says so much about who we are as women in this society, the expectations that our culture puts on us as women. It, it helps us to sort of, you know, think about who we want to become. It taps into our sexuality. So very, very personal issues. Our, our intimate relationship is involved, and I just think it carries with it a lot of, um, a lot of privacy and sensitivity. Do you think that women um, have felt pressure to kind of be all things to all people, go out and work and also simultaneously get pregnant and be fertile and give birth and parent. And do, do you think that this uh, contributes to a level of stress that perhaps makes it difficult to get pregnant in the first place? Well, that's such a, you know, it's an interesting question. The whole question as of does stress create fertility problems or do fertility problems create stress? You know, it's like a chicken and an egg. Um, And I think it's probably a little bit of both. I think it's hard for everyone today in our society to do so many things that, you know, that we're wanting to do. For women in particular, building their families, having careers that are fulfilling and meaningful, we all want to, you know, to many of us want to do both of those things. And so where's the balance? How do you do that? I think that the question of stress is a really good one, though, because what happens is the longer women try to conceive and are not able to, it does definitely build stress. And we do know that chronic and ongoing stress can at the same time impact on our state of health over an extended period of time. Did this stress become an issue in your own journey? Because I know that you have two children now. 
they didn't come easily. Right, that's right. Um, and so I can certainly relate to the stress as it relates to fertility. You know, we spent, my husband and I spent 10 years trying to build our family. And although that was quite a long time ago, my kids are now um, 18 and 23. I can completely understand what women are going through because the emotional aspects of infertility are the same as they were 25 years ago. And um, one of the things that contributes to that is there are so many people who are trying to be helpful um, by telling you uh, or inviting you, you know, what to do, how to, you know, how to get pregnant, how to feel better, how to just relax, how to do these things, as well as the medical community, which are, you know, wonderful and in, in trying to direct you down the right path. But it can be really um, confusing. You can feel like you're kind of pushed and pulled in so many directions that you don't really, you lose touch with what is really best for you, which might not be best for the next patient or for your friend who's having trouble conceiving. And so that does create some, you know, some stress. And it's important to be able to begin to untangle that. You know, it's kind of like those, I don't know, just those mangled, you know, roots that get all gnarled up. You know, what's what feeling is really coming from what? One of the things that you do as part of your work with women and families with um, fertility and adoption issues is that you offer them mind-body methods of dealing with their own stress. And I have in front of me this breathe pamphlet that you've given me. So talk to me about why breathing is so important for your patients or your clients, I should say. Yeah, it is. It's important because whenever we begin to feel stress, our bodies have a physiological response, no matter what it's in response to. And so we start breathing more shallowly, our heart starts to beat more rapidly, we start to get sweaty. And one of the most, the, the easiest, most fundamental techniques is to try and breathe more diaphragmatically, so breathe really deeply. Um, I speak with my, I talk to my kids about this, and I talk with my clients as they're maybe going into a difficult medical procedure that they're stressed about. Maybe they've just had their embryo transfer for IVF. Um, to, if they can really begin to just start breathing much more deeply and really thinking about it, mindfully breathing, it can help them to calm down. But there are a lot of other simple things that I have here on this card. Um, you know, emotional expression, which sounds so simple, but um, is actually a lot harder to do. So that can come in the way of you know, certainly talking with friends in an honest, authentic way, but also writing um, can really help to sort of move uh, emotions out of us. Um, another thing that I talk with people about is what I call thought massaging, just looking at also kind of called cognitive restructuring, a more clinical term, but really looking at those sort of those negative thoughts that start to play over and over again in our heads, like such as, um, I'm never going to be a mom. I'm not getting pregnant because I won't be any good at it. And so helping them to really get up on a sort of on a stool and look down at that those thoughts and begin to sort of take them apart and think about, is this really true? How is this helping me? What can I do to sort of intersect those thoughts when I start to realize they're playing over and over again? In a newsletter that you sent me recently, talking about the impact, the physiologic impact of smiling. 
Right. Yeah, that was a great study that I put in there. Um, and, you know, we don't think about it, but if you really, the more you smile, people smile back at you. And so when people are smiling at you, you feel better. And if you feel better, it's going to change the whole way that you sort of move through that day. And the more you do those kinds of things, it lifts us up in terms of our spirits. Um, it can really change how we enter into any kind of situation if we do that. So those are the little kinds of things that I talk with clients about. And you also offer um, what you call back pocket comebacks. Yeah, I came up with those um, because it's the, the things that people say to you when you're trying to get pregnant, not in a, um, a way that's intended to be hurtful or harmful, but they do come across like that. So one of the things I have on here, um, one of the most common things that people get are, are you ever going to have kids? I mean, you're 30 now. It's about time you got ready talking to your, uh, uh, getting ready to have children. And so what I've got on here is I've got two different kinds of responses. One I call sort of that snarky response, which is the thing that you're probably not going to say, but what you'd really like to say. So what I have on here is, um, well, hold on, let me grab my Ouija board. You know, of course, like if we only knew if, if we had that Ouija board, that crystal ball, wouldn't that be nice? But the more sort of thoughtful, gracious kind of response um, that is actual to ha actually helpful to have in your back pocket might be something like, we'd really love to have kids, but it's a lot harder than we expected. Um, so people are bombarded all the time with really hurtful kinds of things. Again, not intentionally, but we lose our focus when we're in a place of struggle or even emotional pain, and we can't come up with something to say. Um, and so this is intended to help people, you know, come up with that. I, and another one, if I could just go through another one um, that, that people get all the time is, why don't you just adopt? There's so many kids out there that need good homes. And so that sort of that initial snarky kind of response, you know, what sometimes you think about saying is, if there's so many kids out there, why didn't you just adopt? You could have adopted. Um, but of course, a more gracious kind of thing to say might be something like, um, you know, we may consider adopting, but right now we're trying to have a biological child like, like most people want to have. And this is something that you had to deal with um, in your own life. I mean, you had questions probably just like this because you ended up having one biological child and one adopted child. I did, right. It took us 10 years to have those kids. Our son uh, was conceived through ART, Artificial Reproductive Technology. Um, and that was about a three and a half year process to conceive him. We considered ourselves really lucky and we didn't have major medical issues. It was mostly unexplained infertility. Um, and then as soon as he was born, about a year afterwards, we started trying right it pretty much right again to, to try and conceive. And we tried for about five years. We had I had surgeries in there. I had a 12-week miscarriage. I did it all that was available at that time. Um, I did more Perganol cycles than they would ever consider allowing. I think I did around 17. I did GIFT. Um, I did several IVF cycles. Um, so that took about you know 10 years and at the end of that one of the hardest things is deciding when to stop how much farther do you go there's always that next carrot dangling in front of you that next medical new medical drug or procedure um, and so we I finally you know decided that I didn't want to do that anymore and we then opened ourselves up to adoption 
But it was a really, really tough time. And one of the things that got me through, of course, was that my husband and I were on the same page about what we wanted. Um, I'm a real extrovert, so I sort of enlisted the support of my friends to, you know, to help me get through it. I also connected with Resolve, which is a great national organization that's been around for about 40 years, supporting, uh, supporting this issue through advocacy and education. And that's really what, um, what this event is sort of tied into, is the National Resolve. The goal of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is to help make connections between the health of the individual and the health of the community. The goal of Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes is to deepen our appreciation for the natural world. Here to speak with us today is Ted Carter. John O'Donohue is one of my favorite theologians, an Irish mystic, poet, and author. He has written a book entitled Beauty, The Invisible Embrace. When speaking about a woman he dedicates this book to, he speaks of this woman's gentle soul and mystical imagination. From this, I say, this kind of seeing, this kind of knowing, is the way we connect most intimately with nature. Turning to nature with soft eyes, not hard eyes, we greet her and welcome her into the deepest parts of who we are. Contact me at tedcarterdesign.com and we can discuss this further. We'll return to our program after acknowledging the following generous sponsor. Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine. At Orthopedic Specialists, ultrasound technology is taken to the highest degree. With state-of-the-art ultrasound equipment, small areas of tendonitis, muscle and ligament tears, instability and arthritic conditions can be easily found during examination. For more information, visit orthocareme.com or call 207-781-9077. Why is it that even pregnancy something that is deeply personal, becomes a topic of conversation that everybody feels that they have a part of. Whether it's pregnancy, whether it's fertility, why is it that women's reproductive cycles, why are they something that we all seem to have a stake in, unlike any other topic? Yeah, I, because I think it's so fundamental to who we are as, as women and as human beings. Um, it's also such a cultural expectation. Um, I, I'm not sure people even think about it that much in terms of they just have the expectation that um, it's part of the life cycle to go on and, you know, you move into adulthood, you start to build your family. And um, women, it, it's a very... Um, integral part of how we see ourselves as women is that you know when we get our periods when we're when we're teenagers that is something that you know everybody starts talking about and so it's I think it it, it grows from there and I see that I still also see that you know you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily um, openly have a discussion about somebody's alcoholism for per se or you know somebody else's you wouldn't always talk about somebody's cancer. You would know. I, I don't know. It's interesting to me that fertility and infertility and pregnancy and all the things around reproduction just seem like such a public access thing. Yeah. Well, so I think what's interesting about that is that fertility, maybe, and pregnancy, you know, I mean, there's just, you see books and all that stuff everywhere, but people in public will, will strangers might touch a pregnant woman's belly who they, you know, they don't even know them. 
But yet at the same time, so what's interesting is that infertility is not. So you have this huge public access, as you said, to to pregnancy and fertility and childbearing, you know, putting videos of giving birth online, that kind of stuff. And yet when it comes to infertility, all of a sudden the door sort of slams shut. Um, and I think that there's there's a real element of, of shame around that, not being able to conceive. I mean, if it's such a given, it's such an expectation, it's such a part of our womanhood, and now we're not able to um, meet that expectation and produce that, what does it say about me as a woman? I think it goes with part and parcel with people feel that that is in the realm of the public, and they don't think about the fact that um, that someone may not be able to to achieve that. They, it's not, they're just not tuned into that because it's such a, a cultural expectation. I wonder if we will see the same thing happen to infertility that we actually saw happen with pregnancy and birth. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that women were sort of sent into the twilight sleep and then they magically reappeared with a baby. So it wasn't that long ago that men weren't really involved. It wasn't, I mean, I'm thinking the 60s. So maybe Resolve has been around 40 years. Maybe we are finally heading into a time where this doesn't have to be quite so shameful or quite so hidden. Yeah, I think that organizations like Resolve, mainly Resolve, are really working at that. Um, if you look at just the language around it, you know, in infertility versus fertility, um, people have a hard time talking about that. But I do think that people are speaking out a little bit more about their experiences of not being able to get pregnant. IVF is it's kind of in the news all the time now. I mean, it really hasn't been all that long that we've had, you know, IVF. I think the first IVF baby, Louise Brown, was in 78. And since then, there have been over 5 million babies born through IVF. So we see it in the papers. It's being talked about. Um, it's it's becoming much more acceptable. But, but yet, so I think that that will begin to happen. It will begin to move into that more public realm. But I think it's a much slower, slower grow. One of the ways that you're helping this to move into the public realm is to offer a free fertility seminar coming up in honor of National Infertility Awareness Week. And I know you have thoughts on the, 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 the term Infertility Awareness Week, but this seminar is coming up on April 30th from 5.30 to 8 o'clock at the Maine Medical Center. And it's featuring some pretty, some pretty high-level um, guests, Dr. Lannon from Boston IVF, who is also on the show, um, Dr. Michael Druin, Dr. Carolyn Hodston, who's been a guest of ours before, um, Dr. Ann Rainville, and Dr. Dan Spratt. I mean, these are some, these are some heavy hitters. Yeah, it's it's really fabulous that all of these people are willing and able to come out on this evening to speak on this panel, um, because what people want to see is a range of of approaches and a range of practices, and it, it gives people an opportunity to meet these different physicians, get a sense for you know what they might be like. Um, but it's a wonderful contribution that they're making. It's the first time we've ever had an event in honor of what Resolve calls National Infertility Awareness Week. But as you as you pointed out, I'm calling this a free fertility seminar um, because I think coming at it from a positive approach, calling it fertility, it just it just plain feels better to people than than coming, you know, saying it's infertility. Um, and along with those five physicians who are going to be speaking, there are eight alternative practitioners who will then be not speaking on the panel, but will be in um, 
available to speak with. Some of them will be doing demonstrations, giving little mini talks, um, meeting with people afterwards. So it's an opportunity to meet a wide range of practitioners who really focus on and specialize in fertility issues in Portland. I like the fact that you're calling it a fertility seminar, and I'm sure that you're going to have a um, fertile or at least large group Eventually, hopefully, a fertile group of people hey, coming right. to the seminar. It's, um, it's, yeah, we hope that they don't. You know, it's sort of, I feel like, um, it's sort of planned planned obsolescence where, you know, you want them to come, but then I, I don't want them to have to come back next year. It's sort of like the support group that I do. I do a monthly support group for, uh, through Resolve. I do that. I'm here in Portland. I donate that. And we have now around 10 or 12 people who come every month to this, both men and women. It's held the last Tuesday of each month at Maine Med. And it is my hope that people don't come back to it because we all want them, of course, to get pregnant in between meetings. How can people find out about the fertility seminar that's coming up on April 30th or about the work that you do as a fertility and adoption coach? Yeah, I have a website, which is Um I can also be reached on my, my business number, which is 233-5939. But my website is a really good place to get a sense of who I am and how I work. I have this event on there, and if there are other events I'm doing, right now I'm doing a four-week mind-body program with women who are trying to conceive. And I have an office right here in Portland where I work individually, one-to-one with women or couples who are going through infertility and, and, and adoption. Well, Anne, it's been a pleasure to have you back in the studio after going from Hardy Girls, Healthy Women to ongoing Hardy Girls, Healthy Women in a different way as you bring fertility to women and families in the Portland and Maine area. And I hope that people take advantage of the seminar. Um, we've been talking to Anne Belden, who is a fertility and adoption coach and an organizer of the fertility seminar coming up at Maine Medical Center on April 30th. We really appreciate your coming in and talking with us again. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. We'll return to our program in a moment. On the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we've long understood the important link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the subject is Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. In life, we know that at certain times, natural forces cause our bodies to grow and develop in very predictable ways. We can fight this process, accept it or leverage it to reach our God-given potential. Understanding our DNA has helped health experts identify ways that we can live fuller, more intentional lives that work with nature to ensure a more harmonious life. Wealth experts are increasingly discovering that discipline is easier when it aligns with the natural forces motivating us to make the money decisions we do. Distortions of wealth make our lives, our economy, and the world a scary and unsustainable place. Our mission is to help you stop spending health to acquire wealth, only to spend your wealth on trying to reclaim a lost health. By embracing the evolution of our lives, we can map a course that shines a light on the seven different relationships we have with our money, the seven stages we live through, and the seven values that motivate us. To learn more, send an email to info at shepherdfinancialmain.com. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Flagship Harbor Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Flagship Harbor Advisors and Shepherd Financial are separate entities from LPL Financial. 
There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled. You need attention, advice, and individualized care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. Spring is the time of year when things are growing. Plants and flowers and little animals, and we're thinking about fertility and growth. So we're talking today with Dr. Benjamin Lannon. He is a reproductive endocrinologist with the main center of Boston IVF. Thanks for coming in and talking to us today. Thanks for having me. Ben, you grew up in New Hampshire, and you have a presence here in Maine, and you have a presence in Boston. Um, what was it about growing up in New Hampshire that caused you to kind of decide, you know what, I want to come back here, I want to raise my kids, I like this part of the world? My wife and I both grew up uh, near the ocean, and uh, it was uh, a really important formative part of our um, childhoods, and uh, I really appreciated uh, just being able to get to the beach easily and, and the beauty of uh, the the coast of New Hampshire and also the coast of Maine and uh, even Massachusetts were really part of my uh, formative years and so for both of us it was important to, to include that in our in our ongoing lives and also the lives of our children so um, being in, in touch with that aspect of nature is really uh, important for us. And you also received your education largely in New England. You have a very extensive education. Um. Yeah so I've been uh, mostly around uh, uh, New England, um, either um, in northern New Hampshire or in uh, down in Rhode Island, and, and also in Boston, but haven't really strayed too far from from uh, the New England region, which again is, I think, uh, part of my identity. So, did you always want to be a doctor? I think uh, I was in fourth grade and went to career day as a doctor, um, and. Uh, I, my father was a doctor and my grandfather was a doctor and I think probably that had a, a major impact although <clears throat> my father was was very much encouraging me to uh, explore things outside of medicine um, knowing that many many children sort of follow in the path of their parents without fully uh, thinking of where they want to go so um, I think I was went through a long period of time planning to go into medicine and then later uh, in college tried to th find other things besides medicine to do but ended up coming back so uh, it's always been sort of another part of my part of my identity and what what makes it part of your identity what what drew you back uh, I think there's the um, the interaction with um, using um, aspects of science and technology, uh, but really being able to apply them directly to humans and uh, individuals. And uh, I spent some time uh, in the uh, biotech world trying to explore just the pure science of things, but ultimately it's that human connection that was, was important to me and uh, being able to use uh, a really um, a wealth of knowledge uh, that that physicians acquire, and but being able to use that uh, in ways that can really uh, help and benefit uh, individual people 
And so uh, even I spent some time in the, in the public health world as well, and it just it really didn't um, speak to me as much as just that one-on-one interaction with, with uh, people, and that's, that's what, I, what gets me through every day right now. So. You do have an extensive education. You have an undergraduate degree from Dartmouth, a medical degree from Brown, master's in evaluative clinical sciences, again, from Dartmouth. You did a residency in obstetrics and gynecology at Beth Israel and Harvard, and then a fellowship in reproductive endocrinology and infertility at Beth Israel Deaconess. That's a lot of investment of time and energy and resources, likely to come back around to do something that ends up impacting your life in a big way. Has it been worth it? Uh, I think it's been, uh, it's been worth it so far. I I am just, uh, just coming off of the final phase of, um, my training, which has been board certification and, and reproductive endocrinology. And it's been a time to reflect back on, uh, at times an exhausting, uh, education process and um, my wife who started uh, in business school when I started in medical school many of her friends are contemplating uh, down uh, stepping down in their careers and, and I feel like I just got my first job so um, but it's uh, the process along the way is part of the journey and I think you you can't um, uh, just wait to get through training to, to start things so it's been it's been a a really rewarding uh, process so far, and um, I'm looking forward to the next phase, which is more of the independent part as opposed to the the training. But I think most doctors are always in the process of learning or, or training. So um, I think it's it's what you sign up for when you when you enter this career. When you look at your education, you kept narrowing it down and narrowing it down and narrowing it down, and now you really your focus really is helping bring life into the world. That, that is absolutely your focus at this point. And it's a challenging focus because people who come to see you are, are challenged. Talk to me about why you would go into such a field. When I was in medical school and trying to figure out what I wanted to do, um, I really found myself um, uh, drawn to uh, this, this profession and I think the, I ultimately went into my residency anticipating going into further training in, in infertility medicine. And um, I think there's a, a really, again, it's that nice interplay with um, uh, there's a lot of uh, basic science and a, a very um, detailed understanding of the molecular aspects of reproduction. Um, but the people that are sitting in the room across from me don't necessarily care about that. They just want to have a baby. And um, being able to use those, use the skill and the knowledge that I've acquired and really being able to help people in probably one of the most valuable uh, aspects of their uh, life is, is really, um, it's a privilege and it's, and it's rewarding every day, whether it works or it not, uh, helping people get through the, through the processes um, has been uh, the thing that when I looked at what, you know, with every doctor, they have to figure out what they're gonna, what's gonna get them up every day, uh, and, and in many professions that's true. But particularly in medicine, um, what's the thing that's gonna get you through the, uh, the whole process? And for me, it's that um, the the reward of that um, that interaction and the satisfaction with, the, with when the patients are um, 
successful, or, or even if they're not successful, that they that they uh, come through the process um, uh, with a uh, feeling of some uh, closure. Fertility has become um, a really important field. It's grown leaps and bounds. I mean, Boston IVF has a lot of different locations, including this one in Maine that you work for. Why is that true? Why are we having issues with fertility in our culture today? And and I guess conversely, what's been, how have we been able to come to a place where we can now help this problem more? Uh, I think there's been, um, there's been a not necessarily an explosion, but a, a really constant improvement in the technology of uh, the technologies that exist to help couples that are trying to get pregnant. Uh, when we look back, roughly 35 years ago, the first IVF procedure was performed, um, and uh, the amount of progress that's occurred in the in the 35 years since then uh, has been uh, incredible, and um, it's been made available to a much wider group of people. Um, so I think. Anytime you have um, more technology that's available to help people, uh, it, more and more people are, um, uh, and more and more people get access to, to, to that treatment, I think you'll start to see it become more prevalent in the, in the society. Um, I think there's a, uh, a lot of different things that occur, um, uh, that are occurring in our society that we don't really know how they're impacting our fertility. Um, a lot of uh, chemical substances and um, uh, things called endocrine disruptors that uh, may or may not be having an impact in, in, in all of our lives, and not just reproduction, um, but lots of studies looking at uh, changes in the uh, uh, time of menarche or the first, puberty, uh, first uh, signs of puberty that, that, that girls are having, um, whether there are changes in... Uh, uh, semen or sperm parameters that men have over the last 30, 50 years. Um, it's unclear exactly what impact those are having and whether it, uh, uh, whether we're sort of experiencing a, a mild epidemic of infertility, but um, I think a lot of it has to do with just changes in our society. People are really much more comfortable, um, <clears throat> excuse me, talking about these uh, talking about these things, whereas the, the previous generation or two really uh, suffered in silence around a lot of these issues. And um, so I think that's, uh, I think that's one of the, the biggest factors. And then also just um, the changing uh, dynamics socially of when people are having children. So uh, as more and more uh, couples and uh, particularly women are, are, are making more proactive decisions about reproduction, uh, we see uh, a difference in the time that people are, are uh, having children compared to one or two generations ago. And so there are many, many more women, uh, about 20% of women are, are uh, having children after 35 for their first child, which, uh, you know, one or two generations ago would have been uh, much less common. What are some of the actual causes of infertility. I mean, this is you're talking more of a sort of a global reason for global reasons for infertility. What are some of the more um, common diagnosis gut diagnoses that occur? I think one of the one of the things to uh, appreciate is that infertility uh, really affects couples, uh, and it can it can affect both men and women. 
so uh, it's not always just, uh, even though our specialty comes from uh, women's health and obstetrics and gynecology, uh, roughly half of the time there is uh, uh, a known factor. It's either male or female. Um, and so there are things that can uh, impact uh, sperm production or uh, the uh, release of sperm that may, uh, may impact a, a couple's fertility. Uh, for women, there are uh, a host of uh, problems that can impact ovulation, so either uh, something called polycystic ovarian syndrome, where women uh, have uh, an imbalance in the uh, hormonal relationship between their brain and their ovaries, uh, and ovulate on a, a less frequent basis, or, or maybe not at all, uh, as well as um, uh, other uh, hormone uh, interactions, again, between the brain and the ovary, and those signals that are important in, in regular uh, regular uh, ovulation cycles that can uh, reduce the, the likelihood that women that women ovulate. Uh, that's in addition to uh, some of the more structural issues such as having uh, a blockage in the fallopian tubes, which is the, the passage that the egg has to uh, travel as well as the sperm in order to meet each other. Uh, and those can be results of either uh, uh, inf infection or inflammation that's occurred um, much before uh, somebody has tried to, to get pregnant. Um, the, one of the differences with uh, fertility or infertility and, and many other diseases is that uh, it's mostly asymptomatic, so people don't necessarily know that they have a problem, and uh, the definition of infertility itself is really based on uh, the uh, lack of ability to get pregnant over a certain amount of time of trying, and so it's different than having a bladder infection where you feel a symptom and you know that you something is different and therefore you go in and have a specific test. Here it's really based on what is normal within a population and, and, and where you're deviating. So what are some of the technologies? I mean, you've talked about IVF, in vitro fertilization. What are some of the other things that have recently um, come about that are helping couples to conceive? The um, uh, range of treatments can be very simple uh, to being more focused on uh, the timing of, of uh, intercourse and when, and when couples are trying to get pregnant. Um, increasing the number of uh, eggs that are produced in a given cycle may be uh, increase the likelihood of, of success, uh, as well as a procedure called insemination or intrauterine insemination, where sperm is placed uh, uh, rather than in the vagina directly into the cervix and uh, into the upper part of the reproductive tract. Um, those are technologies that have been around for, for a long time and um, are the, the more simple end of things. Um, the more advanced aspects uh, involving uh, in vitro fertilization, as well as something called intracytoplasmic sperm injection, or ICSI, where uh, a very small amount of sperm can be used to fertilize eggs. Um, and some of the newer technologies that are emerging are uh, our ability to do uh, genetic testing or chromosomal screening on embryos uh, before they go back into the uterine cavity. Uh, so that uh, for couples that have either a known uh, genetic disorder or are uh, trying to screen for uh, chromosomal imbalances such as Down syndrome, uh, that testing can be done on an embryo uh, even before it has implanted in the uterus. 
and uh, and that's made a uh, a lot of uh, a lot of improvement for uh, couples that are facing some of the the not necessarily fertility related issues but just the genetic complications that come along with reproduction. We'll return to our interview in a moment. We and the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast hope that our listeners enjoy their own work lives to the same extent we do and fully embrace every day. As a physician and small business owner, I rely on Marcy Booth from Booth, Maine to help me with my own business and to help me live my own life fully. Here are a few thoughts from Marcy. Have you ever been to the gym and noticed that one person seems to be there all the time? They're dedicated, sweating, face beat red, yet their body never seems to change. They never seem to reach that goal and they still have that extra 10 to 20 pounds they just can't quite shed. Why is it? Einstein's ever popular quote, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results, rings true. If you always beat yourself up on the treadmill and haven't lost the weight, maybe you need to switch it up. It's no different with your life or in your business. If you are continually frustrated with either one, make some changes happen now. Stop talking about it and just do it. Nothing will change unless you do. I'm Marcy Booth. Let's talk about the changes you need. Boothmain.com. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. Using recycled sails collected from sailors and sailing communities around the world, Seabags designs and manufactures bags, totes, and accessories in Maine on Portland's working waterfront. From the best-selling classic Navy Anchor Tote to fresh new designs, Seabags offers retired sails another life by turning them into handmade, one-of-a-kind nautical-inspired pieces. Please visit the Seabags store in Portland or Freeport or go to www.seabags.com to browse their unique collection. Judging by the fact that there are now requirements in some states that insurance companies actually pay for fertility treatments, it, it seems as though we are finally accepting the fact that this is an important medical diagnosis, trying to help people conceive it's, it's not an optional thing. It's not as though some people, just because they're fortunate enough to have everything in place, they have the right to have children, and for everybody else, it's too bad for them. Has that helped in some way to kind of move this field along? Uh, it, it has helped, and uh, I think it's it, the great underlying question in our society is whether infertility is a medical condition or a really a misfortune, as you said, that... Um, we say, well, we're sorry that you can't get pregnant, but uh, we don't deem it worthy of other medical conditions that uh, insurance will, will, will treat. And um, it's very interesting on a state-by-state basis how this is decided, but uh, in, many, in several states, I won't say many, maybe 10 or 11 states, there is uh, some coverage for infertility. Uh, tr- uh, diagnosis and treatment, while in other states uh, there really isn't uh, any treatment uh, coverage. And 
uh, it makes a, a major difference for many couples uh, because, as we said, this can be uh, quite an expensive process. And um, when uh, you're paying for it out of pocket, it comes at a it comes at a significant expense to the rest of your the rest of your life. Uh, Massachusetts has a very comprehensive uh, insurance coverage for infertility, whereas Maine is quite limited, and uh, that. Uh, in many senses, dictates uh, how uh, what treatment people do, at, if at all, or or how far they can they can get. Um, price ranges for for treatment might range from uh, on the low end could be in the five hundred to a thousand dollar range, but can get upwards of fifteen to twenty thousand dollars depending on on how complicated things get, and um, for a process that. Uh, theoretically should be free for most people, uh, it's, uh, it's a significant amount of uh, uh, money. And that, I guess, goes back to the idea of what medicine truly is for. I mean, is it for cu- curing an individual's, um, you know, cleaning out their arteries so that they won't have another heart attack, or is it for looking at things um, from a sort of an eagle-eye view? I mean, we're looking at the continuation of a, of a species. So if we're saying that the only people who can reproduce are the people who can do it quote unquote naturally, then we're not really looking at the health of the population at large. Yeah, and I think it's, it's a very, uh, there are a lot of conditions that are associated with infertility, uh, depression, anxiety, uh, as well as other gynecologic or medical conditions that um, that get treated, um, but somehow the infertility diagnosis itself, for many for many people, is is not considered a, a medical necessity. And I, I respect people's uh, opinion that that they can that our society should, in some way, determine what is considered a medical issue versus not. But I think anybody who's struggled with infertility or known somebody who struggled with infertility recognizes that this is the same uh, meets all the all the criteria of any disease that that we consider in, in the rest of our population uh, and so it's uh, it's really uh, unfortunate that um, many states are not uh, many insurance companies or many states don't don't uh, require coverage for this Ben you and your wife Jane have two children Oliver and Gretchen, how has the work that you've done in the field of infertility changed the way that you've looked at your own ability to have a family, or vice versa? It's uh, I have I have a picture of my family uh, in my office, and I, I put it off to the side. Um, I think many times you go to a doctor's office and there are lots of pictures of their family and their children. Um, and I want it, I want it to be there to, for, for me to know and uh, for my patients to know that I understand what they're, what they're working towards. Um, but I think it's important not to, uh, uh, have it be too much in the, in the face of, of my patients who, um, are, are having all these other constant reminders of, of people's families. But, uh, I think anybody who um, had a, had a family without much difficulty uh, maybe um, should recognize the the challenges that that some people have, and to, that any any time that we can 
successfully form our own families, that it's a blessing for, for all of us. And um, I, I think many times we take our own families or children for granted sometimes. Uh, and many people, when they're uh, talking to somebody who uh, is trying to get pregnant and they say, oh, I just want to have children, and people will say, oh, you can have mine, they're driving me crazy. Uh, but that's, uh, you know, I think that sort of speaks to this imbalance of um, perspective that we all have where uh, it's, it's a great fortune to, to be able to, to have children. And whether it was, uh, uh, whether your, your children were uh, created with a minimal amount of complication or significant amount there, it, it's, uh, I think everybody has the, the right to be able to, to do that if they want. The type of work that you do requires not only the high tech and the knowledge and all the education that we spoke of when we first began the interview, but also a significant sensitivity and compassion and empathy. Do you feel as though medical education today is heading us in the direction of being able to marry those two, the high tech and the high touch? I, I think it's uh, it's very uh, person specific. I think there are always going to be people that are uh, gravitate to the high tech, and there are always going to be people that uh, gravitate gravitate to the high touch. Um, and some of it you can teach, but a lot of it is uh, inherent in the in the personalities of the people that uh, ultimately decide to go into medicine or any of the really the you know healthcare professions. Um, it's uh, there are many doctors who. Uh, the last thing they would want to do is uh, deal with my patient population. Um, and I think that's part of the selection process of, of all of us when we choose a profession. Um, you know, there are big differences between radiologists and internal medicine doctors and, and uh, uh, my profession, for example. Um, but I think uh, it's always important for all of us as uh, in whatever we do, but particularly in, in medicine, to figure out which things that you like and are good at and, and uh, how you can apply those to, to whatever specialty you end up going into. And you think that doctors might not want to deal with your patient population because it does require the, the high touch and the sensitivity and the compassion, and, and that's not always easy? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, a very... Um, uh, I think needy has a connotation, but it's a very demanding population in terms of the amount of uh, uh, time and energy that goes into to this process. It's not a, I'll see you once for your annual exam and come back in a year, or I'll see you for, um, you know, this broken arm or whatever uh, uh, process that you're dealing with. Um, it evolves over, for many of my patients, months to years before we uh, achieve the goal. And so... Um, that's a, you know, that's a very uh, unique aspect of this type of medicine that um, you have to be able to, uh, you have to prepare for. And there is also the possibility that the goal that you achieve is finally realizing that you may not be able to um, carry a biological child and that you may need to explore other options. Yeah, that's a, that's one of the hardest things that, that uh, we all uh, face in this profession is, is helping couples uh, find closure or transition to a different pathway than they had originally intended, such as going through adoption or uh, moving on uh, w without children. 
and uh, or even uh, for many people using uh, donated gametes, either sperm or eggs, to, to help and uh, assist in their goal. And I think that's, um, again, one of the, the challenges that we all uh, work towards is, is helping um, throughout the, the, the journey is really helping people kind of get perspective on where they are now and, and, and where things are going or may be going because there are there are always going to be people that don't uh, that aren't uh, achieving the their exact goal but um, it doesn't mean that they aren't successful Ben you'll be speaking at the free fertility seminar which is coming up on April 30th from 5:30 to eight o'clock at the main medical center so people can hear more about what you're uh, what you've been talking about there at the seminar. Also, um, people can find out about you through the website for the main center of Boston IVF. So tell us what that website is. So uh, you can uh, look us up if you if you go to Boston IVF or um, bostonivf.com. That would be the, the easiest access point. Um, there are a number of... Uh, uh, fertility groups that are uh, available and uh, we're certainly um, one option for, for many people but I think um, you know our goal is to make sure that people are aware of, of this issue and, and, and can get access to, to somebody to, to provide help but um, uh, as I said we're, we're, uh, we're always happy to uh, tell people uh, or help people make that next step into the, into the process. We've been speaking with Dr. Benjamin Lannon, who is a reproductive endocrinologist with the Maine Center of Boston IVF. We're quite privileged to have you in here today, and thank you for the work that you're doing to bring life into the world. Thanks very much. You have been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 85, Fertility. Our guests have included Ann Belden and Dr. Benjamin Lannon. For more information on our guests, visit doctorlisa.org. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Dr. Lisa Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter and Pinterest, doctorlisa, and read my take on health and well-being on the Bountiful blog, bountiful-blog.com. We'd love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, please let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. I am privileged that they enable us to bring the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour to you each week. We hope that our conversations with Ann Belden and Dr. Benjamin Lannon may add a chance for you to think about life in a slightly different way and perhaps change the way that you approach it. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, Seabags, Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, and Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street in Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belisle. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain.
Summaries of all our past shows can be found at doctorlisa.org. Become a subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details.